Cutting Through the Matrix on the 10th of April 2012. Newcomers, I always suggest that you look into the website and use it, cuttingthroughthematrix.com. You'll find over a thousand hours of audio for free download, and I'll take you through the system we call reality and show you how it really is and how you're really trained from birth to see it in a different way, of course, for the rulers. Um, to be to, to manage it better, really, and I went through the history of it and how the rich guys basically a long time ago decided to form clubs and then um, create foundations as fronts that would hire uh, thousands of non governmental organizations that would work in concert demanding things from governments and of course it, it's all on behalf of their masters that really are the international money boys that set up the club in the first place as their world as they decided to that it was better in fact for bankers and even Rockefeller said this bankers and their own intelligentsia to run the world rather than leave it to politicians and nations to go on, on their own path by themselves, basically. That's roughly what he said. And that's what he decided to do. So you're living through a script, in other words. Everything that happens on a major scale is a script, including the major wars, of course. They even published them in, in advance, like the New American Century that published all the countries they were going to take out in the Middle East. So we're living through a script, and every major change in it, that's cultural change, financial changes, um, depressions, that type of thing, are all part of it. And uh, we're certainly ramping through it now, because this is the century of change, as they called it at universities in the last century. This was to be the century of change. So hang on, of course, to your, seat, to, to your, to your seats, because you're going through it, whether you like it or not. You can't opt out from this. And it's pretty well global, but the first world countries have to get the hardest uh, uh, crashing uh, around that they've ever had in their entire lives, basically. The third world countries, the second world countries are getting it hard already, but the first world countries are, are to be pretty well smashed down to a much lower level, and it's still going on. So help yourself to that. Remember, too, you are the audience that bring me to you. You can keep me going by the, buying the books and discs at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. And you should read the books too because it shows you that the art of conology, and that's what it's called of running the masses, conology, is a very, very old art. And they're still using it yet, of course. Uh, but in olden times, it was much more simple. They simply put things in code and so on so that the literate ones could understand what they're really saying. And that was used right up until the 20th century, pretty much. And I'll show you how it was done. And they did use the religions too. They always seemed to be on the side of the money boys down through the centuries, regardless of how the peasants had it, good or bad, generally bad. And how really they're bringing this new religion that, that um, it was, um, one of the Russian leaders actually mentioned too. He says, we're creating a new religion for the masses. It must be based on a form of earth worship. And that's what they've got today. 
They've got a form of earth worship called sustainability, go green, all that stuff. And that's what he was referring to. And that was Gorbachev, of course, who said that. So they brought it in, and it's a mantra now. You can't say anything about it. It's just like George Orwell's 1984 with double think. You must adapt to the new sayings, the new terms you use instantaneously if you want to survive in this new system. And, of course, the bureaucratic types do immediately. So, so do the middle classes and all those at universities. So I show you how it's done, as I say, by the books and the disc at cuttingthroughmatrix.com. And remember, from the U.S. to Canada, you can use a personal check or international postal money order, send cash, or you can use PayPal. Across the world, Western Union, MoneyGram, and PayPal once again. So we're living through a script, as I say, and that's the hardest thing for people to realize. Uh, it isn't until you can relate what's happening today with uh, the writings of the big boys that were put out in the past. It simply verifies it. Back with more after this. Hi folks, I'm back, cutting through the matrix. And when you look around the world and watch what's happening in some countries like Greece, that's been hammered and hammered and hammered with this idea of, uh, of austerity measures that's forced upon them through their technocrats at the top. Uh, and, uh, of course, the Central Bank of Europe being at the helm of everything now for many countries. And you can get a taste of how things can come back home to you. And people forget that, too. We're so used to watching television in a kind of schizophrenic way. When something's over there, it's like it's untouchable. It's not, it's not really within our reach. It's, out of, it's kind of like an outer limits or outer planet type thing. And we don't really take it so seriously. And yet we forget that these depressions have been started before that rippled across the world, and they all implement the same types of measures when it happens. And then you tie it up with, of course, the situation we're in now, where every country, Canada and the States included, because we're all in it together, as he keeps telling us, that we're joined at the hip, etc. Uh, you, you see all the ammunition that's getting brought into the States for Homeland Security. I mentioned that last week. I mean, this, this is enough to, for, for our war, basically, for Homeland Security. Now, what do you think all that's for? I mean, I mean see, most people get these little things, and it's out of their head as soon as they, they go into the next station or listen to the next host or whatever. It's out of their head immediately. And, again, it becomes unreal to them. And, I mean, things are happening for a purpose. And the purpose is, of course, in case the U.S. actually crashes or they bring down some measures, maybe which they intend to bring down anyway, you see. It could be just a, a, one of these if preparations, but it could also be something that they're, they've planned. You have no idea. Because you're, the ones who run your country are not the ones that you see in the limelight, of course. And hasn't, you haven't really had real presidents and prime ministers across the world for an awful long time. We've got actors, really, just, just low-level actors that read their scripts. They don't even write their own speeches, for goodness sake. And uh, they get well rewarded for it, of course, and they get bigger rewards when they leave office if they've been good and signed all the bills you've been told to sign. But the bigger, much bigger boys above that run the world. And even that goes back to Benjamin Disraeli, in fact, in Britain, who said that the ones who really run the government uh, behind the scenes are people you'd never suspect, basically. And you never see them. They never, they never come forward like the Rockefellers, even. 
uh, he's known and the family's known. These are people who you, you never hear about. Their name's never mentioned in the media. In fact, they're kept out of the media. Very powerful, very powerful people. So, as I say, it's, it's a sad thing when we can't relate to other countries and, and see what's going on and, and bring it back home because the signs are all around you. In fact, in the U.S., I'd say that one day they'll write a book about this and it'll be a kind of um, drama-type sci-fi book because, because all the signs are there. They are under total martial law, which is incrementally implemented because they don't want to scare you too much by bringing it all down at once. So they bring it a, a bit at a time here, over there, behind you, in front of you, and uh, and it's, you adapt and you adapt. We're awfully good at adapting to things, aren't we? Awfully, awfully good. The elite have always known this too, because they get archives of information on how populations have been managed in the past to do different things and prompted to do different things or forced to do different things, and how they adapt to it. So uh, that's why they have the, the big boys at the top to advise uh, uh, the real uh, governments what to do and how to handle the masses, basically. They, they know they've got us all worked out today. They have us all categorized into different groupings of people who will always be passive, those who get a bit upset, those who still think politics will solve it and start yelling and protesting, and, and those might even go further. Everyone is categorized today through the Internet, of course, and the constant uptake of all your data and putting you into different categories and all your emails and all the rest of it too. They know the blowhards. They know the ones who, who would do something. They've got it all worked out. And it's, it's amazing, too, how all of this big push for globalism ends up at the stage when they give you the Internet, too. It's all meant to be this way at this time with all these things together, of course. So they can, they can manage it so perfectly through the great transitions, as I like to call it, into the new sustainable way of living. And yet each part of this sustainability at one time or another would have caused riots in the streets. But we adapt it so coolly now because it doesn't hit you all at once. It doesn't take all of your pay from you at one go. And then when you compare it to other countries, like Greece, uh, they're getting the full brunt of it all. And lawlessness is starting to abound there. and People have to, have to steal to, to live, food and all the rest of it. You do the same thing. But all the only difference is over here, of course, they know who would steal or, or go fishing when they shouldn't with a license, all that kind of stuff, <laughs> to, to feed themselves. You're very predictable in the West. But here it says Greece is offering a cop for higher service, renting out policemen for 30 euros per hour, plus 10 euros if you can want a police car too. It triggered fears that security of people who cannot afford a policeman for hire may be affected in favor of those who can. Well, of course it will. This new way for the cash-strapped Greek state to raise money will pay for the cost of using police materials and infrastructure and allow to modernize them, the Ministry of Citizen Protection said in a statement. We've all got these ministries now, eh? We've got ministries. In the US have got the ministry. Just call it the Ministry of Homeland Security. Just departments, the same thing, you see. 
And, um, and you've also, oh, public safety is another one I like too. They've used that since the French Revolution when they chopped the heads off the folk. Ministry of Citizen Protection said in a statement, the police services um, on offer were previously used on exceptional cases escorting the transportation of dangerous material or artworks and were free of charge. Now police services have a price tag. If you need something special, the hourly fee for patrol boats is 200 euros and 1500 euros for helicopters, according to the Proto Thema newspaper. Even though the ministry said it would only accept such hires if it do not affect security forces' operational capacity, only those with the cash will benefit from the initiative. The newspaper says the less wealthy will be left to deal with crime by themselves. You understand, that will all come here too. And, and you probably hire everything. You can get drones and the whole lot in the U.S. And you know, maybe about ten dozen SWAT teams or something. It says the financial crisis left Greece with rising unemployment, fast-growing crime rates, and a surge in illegal immigration. Security has substantially deteriorated in the Greek capital in recent years, with previously safe and calm neighborhoods in the city becoming literally off-limits after nightfall. That could so easily happen in the cities of Canada and the States and elsewhere. So easily. Look at Britain. They're talking about the flash mobs. A flash mob can be started by the authorities themselves, of course. And then all the followers jump in on it, and they can have riots when they want, made-to-measure, made-to-order riots, basically. Anyway, it says, Athens City Council described the situation as the city's historic centre, and other major areas are suffering decertification, all matter of criminal activity and manifestations of violence, insecurity, lawlessness, the impoverishment of significant numbers of people, both native inhabitants and foreign nationals, illegal prostitution, illegal drug trading. And youth employment, unemployment is as high as 50%, driving some to leave the country, others to protest, and a few to resort to breaking the law. Well, see, that will happen in every country. Uh, but whenever the big banking boys decide to put the slap on you, you know, they slap the ticket on you. And um, it's all planned that way. All planned that way. And how, how will you react to it when it all comes down? Because it's going to come down. You don't create a police state unless you're going to use it. You can use it for, for basically positive reinforcement, basically, making, then forcing the public by fear to go along with things and just, well, basically, it's, you're, you're getting down to what was, and Britain's very much like this, the Soviet Union at one, at one time, uh, people always looked, very, they call them the grey people on the streets. Everybody walked looking at the sidewalk, looking down. You didn't want to look at anybody's eyes. You didn't want to look at the cameras above you. And um, you, you don't behave the same way. You're not spontaneous and, and normal when you know you're being observed all the time. Well, that's what we're under today. And it's going further ahead and further ahead and further ahead. The difference in the, in the U.S., I'd say, is that with all the apps that are coming out to, to monitor yourselves, uh, you're helping them. In fact, the head of the, the CIA said that at one point. The people are actually helping us. They're being spies themselves, uh, even on, the, on themselves, by getting all these apps. So, so the only one in history probably go down uh, willingly, I guess, by giving the bosses all they want. And I'll put up a link tonight, too, to do with the, the EU referendum. It says the EU flag leaders of the UK's three largest parties have rejected calls for an EU referendum. But then it says that nearly 90% of those who voted in a public poll over Britain's membership of the EU have backed calls to stage a referendum, campaigners say. 
It says uh, some 14,590 people in Thurrock, Essex, returned postal ballots uh, or voted electronically, a 30% turnout, and said the cross-parties group People's Pledge. So they want a, they, they're all for having another referendum to get Britain out of the EU. That would cause an internal war because the, the elite don't want that. They, they want, uh, it's been planned for a, a long, long time to get them into this EU. In fact, Britain was to be the flagship to, to create it all, which it was from London, of course, and probably the city of London, where all the, the real orders come from. So I'll put that up tonight as well. Now, it's, it's astonishing how many foreclosed homes there have been in the US, in, in, in the millions. And we know that Obama has given them contracts out to big groups that, that come in and buy them wholesale, like job lots for peanuts as well. That's how things work, you know, with your friends at the top, right? And um, it says American, you, the American taxpayers are left not just paying for all, but taking care of the houses as well. And I'll read about that when I come back from this break. Folks, I'm back cutting through the matrix, talking about all the, the homes, these repossessed homes that the U.S. government now is in charge of, and they've been selling off vast job lots of them, and, and across the whole country, lots of Israelis are getting in on it too, because because um, real estate tends to, if you buy it so darn cheap, for goodness sake, sometimes six grand for a house, and um, and they get into the, the, the thing, and it goes up in price later down the road. Some say it's better than, than coinage and gold and all the rest of it. But this article says, uh, American taxpayers own, I like how they word it too, like you own this, right? American taxpayers, no, you owe the, owe the debt, own close to 200,000 vacant houses, and over the next year they'll spend more than $40 million just in mow lawns at these properties. Taxpayers also foot the bills to paint walls, fix cabinets, plant flowers and more, expenses that just last year exceeded half a billion dollars. That's just so that they can give them to their buddies, you see, and job lots for peanuts. The housing bailout has already cost taxpayers $124 million, and now Americans are spending hundreds of millions more fixing up foreclosed homes to try and sell them. It costs them a lot more than that because you have the banks to bail out too, right? It's a bizarre and expensive side effect of the housing market collapse and failure of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, the mortgage giants that went into federal conservatorship in 2008. By the way, Freddie Mac or Fannie Mae was, keeps putting his hand out every three months for millions and he gets it. There's quite a lot of articles out there about that too. And it says, um, Fannie Mae alone repaired nearly 90,000 homes last year, so I guess the taxpayers given Fannie Mae the cash and they fix them up. There's a lot of homes and there's a lot of materials that need to be purchased, Jay Ryan, Fannie Mae's vice president of the real estate-owned homes. Unfortunately, Ryan said Fannie Mae pays electricity bills, property taxes, and the cost of general upkeep of properties to make sure houses are ready to sell. And Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac have already sold hundreds of thousands of homes, but they continue to foreclose on thousands more every month. Real estate experts say getting rid of all of them is not going to happen anytime soon. And it goes on and on and on. But, you know, the whole, it's just a disgusting thing what's happening. I mean, these guys aren't going to jail. They get occasional character. Uh, recently, they've picked a few of them. And um, here's one, for instance, they throw them to the public. 
uh, but the, the, the big boys go free. It says, New York equities boss pleads guilty to $66 million fraud, a mortgage fraud case. So they pick a small guy. That's small. $66 million. The president of a New York brokerage firm pleaded guilty Monday to conspiracy in a $66 million mortgage fraud scheme, the latest victory in U.S. President Barack Obama's campaign against financial fraud. What's well, a token thing and to boost Obama up to, obviously. This is Jared uh, Canino, president of First Class Equities, pleaded guilty to one count of conspiracy, conspiracy to commit wire fraud and bank fraud in a New York federal court, said the U.S. Attorney's Office. The charge carries a maximum penalty of 30 years' prison. As a president and owner of First Class Equities, Gerald Canino should have promoted responsible home ownership and protected the integrity of the mortgage financial industry, Manhattan uh, attorney Preet Brarara said in a statement. Instead, he used his firm to commit a massive mortgage fraud scheme that left scores of foreclosed properties in its wake. With today's plea, Canino now stands convicted for his role in his brazen scheme. What about Fannie Mae and all the rest of them? How come they're getting money and grants every other month? Canino's lawyer, Stuart Kaplan, described his client as contrite and forthright in accepting his responsibilities. But what he did was... It says uh, he would recruit straw buyers who are people who posed as home buyers to purchase distressed properties but who had no intention of paying the mortgages. Well, they were all doing that, for goodness sake. And there's been enough documentaries and television about them uh, passing them up to the biggest banks in the U.S. They all knew, they were all in on it. Instead, the bank loans to buy the properties were transferred to Canino and his co-conspirators, and co-papers said the Long Island-based firm ran the fraud from 2004 to 2009. It was charged last August along with 13 others, and the trial of co-defendants is set to begin July 2nd. It says the case uh, involved coordination with Obama's financial... Why do they keep saying Obama's? It's just like a PR thing for Obama for the Financial Fraud Enforcement Task Force, which was created in 2009. So they're going to have to small fry about letting the big, big, big boys, they have to let the big boys off because they run the country. Perhaps you put them all in prison and, and the, the banks will go down again, you know. Now, at the top, I think everyone's caught on to the fact eventually uh, that Google was really, it's really an arm of the NSA. It was set up to be so. When you look into the history, for instance, of the CIA, MI6 and other countries, main spy programs, they have many front organizations out there, legitimate front, real organizations that really sell things and do things and stuff like that. But but behind the scenes, uh, they go much, much higher. Even a lot of the electronic companies, especially the electronic companies, are often really big uh, legitimate fronts. And um, you'll find they're all interconnected. And often uh, the tops of, of uh, the CEOs of these corporations are ex-CIA, ex-this, ex-that. So it's the revolving chairs, you know, it's, it's the musical chairs story. They're all one at the top. They have to be at this time for a global society. But it says DARPA uh, director goes to, to Google, but uh, probes continue. It says... Twin probes into possible irregularities in the awarding of contracts worth hundreds of thousands of dollars during the tenure of Defence Advanced Research Projects Agency DARPA will continue even though Dugan, Dugan was the head boss, who left the agency for a position at Google. So they just go back and forth like musical chairs, one department to the next, 
government to private, government to private. But the private really is, is really still um, an agency. Back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix, reading about the musical chairs as CEOs and directors jump from one government position and into what seems to be a private position, but it's really like the NSA they're jumping into and things like that, because Google and all these big ones are all part of the agencies, whether you like it or not. But it says, but there's twin probes and the possible irregularities in awarding contracts worth hundreds of thousands of dollars during the tenure of Regina Dugan at the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, DARPA, will continue even though Dugan has left the agency for a position at Google. See, you can't have people in such high positions with all the, the, the dope on everybody, all the data on everyone. Uh, and, and who's doing what, and etc., and then jump into Google if Google is truly a, a, nothing but a private organization. doesn't work that way. Both special audits of the agency are ongoing, and it says Bridget Ann Shershak, a spokesperson for the Department of Defense Office of Inspector General, which is called Dodig, by the way. They love these, eh? Oh, Dodig, <laughs> told PC World this week. Sershak declined to comment on when the audits would be completed. We never speculate on completion dates for projects, she said. Well, that's government, right? But and then it says the Dodig's office, listen to this, uh, announced the first in a series of planned audits of DARPA in August 2011. The first audit will determine the adequacy of DARPA's selection, award and administration of contracts and grants awarded in FY 2020 and FY 2011 for research and development projects. The Dodig's office wrote in a letter to Daniel Bryan, Executive Director of the Project on Government Oversight, which is called POGO, like the stick, POGO stick, right? So they, I guess they can hop over the things that they're not supposed to talk about. A federal watchdog group. It says it was POGO that waved the red flag over contract procedures at DARPA in a letter to Dodig. Isn't this wonderful? POGO and DARPA and Dodig, eh? Gordon S. Heddle, in a letter dated May the 9th, 2011. POGO's Brian wrote that her organization was concerned about possible conflicts of interest between Dugan and Red X Defense, a bomb detection firm that Dugan founded and which retains a financial connection. So even though they're involved in government, they've got all these private little deals going on amongst themselves. But, but so what? Because, I mean, look at the guys that came in in Homeland Security at the top and end up getting the contracts for all the X-ray devices that you walk through when they left, eh? I mean, it's, it's from the top down, it's all. You should call it in Britain rank, meaning rotten, you know. Red X Defense has received approximately $6 million in contracts from DARPA since it was founded, Brian wrote. The company received about 30% of the $6 million, or $1.75 million, since Dugan became director of DARPA. So there you go, Pogo and DARPA and um, Dodig and, and all that. You need a whole new dictionary for, for these characters, don't you? Because they intentionally do this so you can't keep up with them all. And the problem is, too, that government is cancerous. You know, it throws off metastases every so often, and they throw off the metastases until you're nothing but, but secondaries all over the place. And they just keep growing and growing and growing. And really, you probably have a... I wonder if they've got a dictionary for the computer for all these, these particular governmental departments. 
just for us, you know, to explain it to the simpletons at the bottom. But that's probably top secret, eh? But that's the farce that we live in today, and we've lived into the, under this system for a long, long time. Look at Chertoff, he got all the contracts for those machines and everything else. And uh, no one went after him. And I also want to just mention tonight about uh, different things. We, we know, for instance, uh, that... Um, that many programs out there are after specific things about the general public. It's almost they're specializing in certain areas of uh, either your psyche or the body or whatever. And um, this one's about the eye brain. It can read your mind. So it's enlisted Stephen Hawking, it says. Now, they're already with Facebook and so on. They're already collecting DNA. They've got massive programs there to put everybody down in your family and so on. And they're collecting your DNA across the world. It's one of the biggest collectors of documentation of family histories so they can match up with DNA and so on. And this, this one here is from, from uh, iBrain. It says, can read your mind. A team of Californian scientists have developed the world's first portable brain scanner. And it may be soon be able to read a person's mind, playing a major role in facilitating medical breakthroughs. It's always really for medicine. It's always for medicine, right? You know that's, that's what it's for. This is a very exciting for us for because it allows us to have a window into the brain. We are building technology that will allow humanity to have access to the human brain for the first time, said the project's leader, Philip Lowe. And KGTV reports that the device created by San Diego-based NeuroVigil and dubbed the iBrain fits over a person's head and measures unique neurological patterns connected to specific thought processes. Lowe says the goal is to eventually have a large enough database of these brainwaves that a computer could essentially read a person's thoughts out loud. One person who has already tried out the iBrain is famed physicist Dr. Stephen Hawking. We'd like to find a way to bypass his body, uh, pretty much hack his brain, said Lowe. This past summer, Lowe travelled to Cambridge, England, where he met with Hawking, who was asked to think very hard about completing uh, various tasks while wearing the device. Neurovergence says the device could be used at home by individuals and worn during sleep. It comes equipped with a USB port for transferring the recorded data to a local computer. Beyond so-called mind-reading, the device has potential medical applications. Now we'll say that, you know, don't worry about it, it's for medicine and so on. So that's one article that popped up. Another one is to do with one that's already out there, actually. You can buy the thing, get in the public radio. It's called NeuroSky. And brainwave, brainwave sensors for everybody is, 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 is selling the stuff uh, for you to use at home. But of course, all the stuff that you, you collect on you will be sent back to its own particular organization and company. So there'll, there'll be a database on your brainwave patterns and so on. And I noticed too, they've got little quips there too to do with uh, Harvard and different universities where they actually says it actually have 7,000 brains, I think, stored at Harvard. Uh, to actually, they like to cut them up, these neuroscientists, and, you know, look at them and stare at them and things like that. And then the iPhone has a, a one for a sweet dreams, a new app, it says. Once the only way you could suppose to influence your dreams was by regulating your cheese consumption before bed. Ha, ha, ha. These days, however, things are a little bit more high-tech. Scientists have invented a phone app. They claim lets you create your perfect dream by playing a soundscape that subliminally influences the sleeping mind. Users can take the picture on peaceful rural settings, busy street scenes, or even dramatic adventures set in space. Well, it may sound rather like a sinister plot from a sci-fi film, Professor Richard Wiseman, who helped develop the program, believes it could aid those who suffer from sleeping disorders or depression. 
The Hertfordshire University psychologist plans to collect thousands of records from users of from the app as part of a mass experiment for the Edinburgh International Science Festival to find out how easy it is to influence dreams. Now, if they can influence your dreams, they can influence your waking thoughts as well. The app called Dream On is free and can be downloaded by iPhone users from today. Now, anything that's free, you know, is a collection of data for them. In this case, is science. An Android version is planned for later in the year. Before going to bed, the user selects the time they want to wake up and chooses their ideal dream scenario. They put the, their phone face down the mattress, ideally close to the head. Oh, that's wonderful. It fry during the night. And it uses a motion sensor to detect when the sleeper is dreaming. Uh, during the night, we pass through cycles made of three different stages of sleep, uh, deep and light sleep. The first two stages, we're restless in bed. But during rapid eye movement, the time in which we dream, the brain paralyzes the body so we don't act uh, out our dreams and harm ourselves. Have you ever done that? You've actually acted out your dream and, and uh, you know, you've fallen out of bed or something. That waits until the last period of REM sleep before the choosing the waking time, then plays the soundscape. Once the dreaming sleep is over, the app wakes up the user within a minute to increase the chances of them remembering the dream. They're invited to record their dream. You're invited to, like they don't do it anyway automatically, and submit a description into an online database. Some of the soundscapes are designed to encourage lucid dreaming, where the sleeper is aware they're dreaming and can influence what happens. I like those dreams because if something's bad, you just choose another door and go somewhere else. Now, it says it features the mimic voices of celebrities, actors, and even President Barack Obama. <laughs> oh, how wonderful, eh? Isn't it just great? But, as I say, they're just up to all this stuff, and you understand this is not for your fun. This is not, none of this is for your fun. It's always sold that way. The genetic social network Facebook has your personal information. Now Google wants your DNA, that's what I was talking about earlier. It's amassed a gigantic database of human intelligence from its millions of users. The information has been used by police and arrests of suspects and is milked by marketers. What if a similar system gathered genetic information? In 2005, it was revealed in a book called The Google Story that Dr. Craig Venter, known for his creation of synthetic life forms, was in discussions with Larry Page and Sergey Brin, founders of Google, to generate a gene catalogue to categorize all the genes on the planet and understand their evolutionary development. Geneticists have wanted to do this for generations. Google will build up a genetic database, analyze it, and find meaningful correlations for individuals and populations. It says it has been funding a program to do just that called 23andMe. In 2006, the organization was co-founded by Anne Wojcicki, I think it is, the wife of Sergey Brin and co-founder of Google. Uh, will the general public be acclimated to share their, their genetic information online as they were with Facebook to share personal information? Facebook has altered the public perception of privacy. <laughs> yeah, hasn't it, though, eh? As Time magazine reported in 2010, the willingness of Facebook's users to share and overshare from descriptions of or bouts of food poisoning, gross, to our uncensored feelings about our bosses not advisable, is critical to the success. A recent article from Discover magazine pointed out that many researchers believe that personal genomics will really not hit the biomedical sweet pot until you have on the order of a million people sequenced. But even then in the American system, how to get a hold of all that information is going to be problematic since it will likely be decentralized. And it goes on into a lot of the stuff to do with the U.S. military 
and so on. It says, um, samples have even been provided to U.S. military labs. That's to do with the DNA of the newborns and so on. That's been known for years. Also present in this used to suspect the prospect of who owns the copyright of your DNA. Well, they've told us they own it because they, they discovered it. It was always there, but they discovered it, you know. It's like planting a flag in it or something. If the government already has a database of millions of people's DNA, what function could an organization like 23andMe fulfill? Managing public perception, and that's the most important thing that everything runs on is public perception. Managing public perception is perhaps where the answer can be found. Having your DNA in a database to share with your friends in a familiar social network setting is a good way to introduce the masses to the idea. Also, Google is an extension of government agencies. As Facebook has proven, it's much easier to have the general public willingly volunteer their personal information. The Yale Scientific Magazine announced earlier this month that with the 23andMe genetic social network, it's easier than ever for people to find out their genetic risks for diseases. And that's how they sell everything to the people, isn't it? Alter your perceptions. We're concerned about you. You don't know what you're prone to. We'll find out for you as well as connect with others who share parts of their genome. It remains to be seen whether 23 will become a widespread success like Facebook, but it certainly has a powerful backing. As of last year, 23andMe reached 125,000 users who have submitted gene samples. These are stupid people for you. And it says Google founder Larry Page met with Craig Venter in California at the Edge Billionaires meeting in 2010. Also present were reps from the State Department, of course, Bill Gates, of course, Anna Wojcicki, Bill Joy, and dozens of other tech companies, CEOs, and scientists. The Edge Billionaire meetings have discussed the future of genetic engineering, biocomputation, and redesigning humanity. Redesigning humanity. That's what all these things you're playing with are all about, you see. Physicist Freeman Dyson described the individuals leading this group as having godlike power to create entirely new species on Earth in a new age of wonder. He describes them as a new generation of artists writing genomes as fluently as Blake and Byron wrote verses, might create an abundance of new flowers and fruits and trees and birds to enrich the ecology of our planet. And lots of willing zombies too, I'm sure. The technological elites are engaged in a mission to attain full-spectrum dominance over life and its complex processes and in the process of rewrites, that well, they'll rewrite the genetic code of the planet, and the harvest of your genetic information brings this vision a step closer to reality. So, and you buy it all, of course, and you play with it all, or some of it's free, mind you, and your inquisitiveness into, oh, I wonder who else is related to me. All these little, these little carrots get you hooked into it, and you just can't pull away, and you're basically dooming yourself dooming yourself altogether. But you can't stop most folk, you know. It's like lemmings going over the hill. You can't stop them. Now, there's Chris from California hanging on the line there. You're still there, Chris. Hi, Alan. Yes. Well, it appears, uh, Alan, uh, that the model of psychological warfare that the globalists employ, that you have described, effectively disables the resistance, Mm -hmm. including... Shows like your own, which draw back the curtain. And I say that because the avalanche of information you provide is so overwhelming that the public will often draw back with the feeling of despondence or anger or depression. 
And as you've described, that serves to reduce the capacity to respond. Well, here, I'll, I'll interject here and tell you something. You cannot save the majority of the general public because they're so into this dream state of, of surf, surf, surf. I've, I've read so many articles from the elite's point of view on their surfing habits that they themselves cannot handle information. And you don't worry about the majority of the public because they, they don't know what's going on and they don't care to know what's going on. That's also come up in so many studies after studies after studies. And they'll always be like that. These are the, the people you can give even basic information to and they'll tell you, I don't want to hear it. Also with the New Age group, and there's a whole massive New Age movement out there too, they will actually condemn you for exposing this stuff because to say, you exposing it will make, will make it happen, like, like it's all in your mind, you know, and, and you create it by just thinking about it, understand? And, and you, cannot, you cannot target the general population. You can't target them. You can only target the ones who are already up and coming up on into a much higher understanding. That's why I call it the matrix. Because those are the ones who can handle it. And they don't forget the things that they shouldn't do. They remember the things they shouldn't volunteer to do. Uh, and they don't get caught up in all this kind of stuff. And a lot of young people, believe it or not, a lot of young people have thanked me who are ready to plunge into a lot of this stuff and, and give all their data and stuff away. So I'm not really going for the general population. 80% of the general public are oblivious to what's happening on a daily basis and even a yearly basis. They adapt from pre-9-11 to post-9-11. They adapt to troops on the streets and think nothing of it. And their life to them is pretty well unchanged as far as they actually see it. And these are from government studies. Hold on and we're back after this break. Hi folks, I'm back, cutting through the matrix, talking about, really it's, it's news and exposure to news, who can handle it, who can't handle it, and is there a danger of overload? There's always a danger of overload for those who cannot handle it, of course, and um, that's just the way life happens to be. There are people who have got different cracking points, but uh, you've got to understand, you cannot target a whole, a whole audience or a whole generation or a whole population and expect them to, to even retain most of what you're even speaking about. They won't. They'll go off into the next program, or they'll go off and play with their different apps, and they've forgotten all about it. And a lot of people actually are, are beginning to use all of this as entertainment. Exactly. You understand? Even the whole idea of uh, Patriot Radio has, has gone off into entertainment, uh, and... Uh, uh, and that's a, a bad, bad sign when that happens. I agree entirely, and that's part of the reason I called in. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the concerns I have is you mentioned that 80% of the public is in a zombie-like trance. They learn yep. to adapt over time. Yep. And I think that solidifies the notion that the globalists are invincible. And unfortunately, it's hard to conclude otherwise when listening to your breakdown. Mm -hmm. And I begin to question at what point do 
we say enough is enough. What's it going to take? Well, understand, the 80% has been pretty well fixed for well over 100 years. They've done so many studies. Britain's done incredible studies, uh, even in the late 1800s on the general population, how much they'd put up with the different classes and so on. Every country does this, by the way. And it's generally always steady around 80%. Same, the same 80 odd percent that uh, Huxley talks about, they're always in a semi-hypnotic state, he said, and are very suggestible. That's why they, they accept the mainstream media and are quite happy listening to it every night. So it's always within a 20% that changes take place. So. I guess there's one question and I'll conclude here. Do you think that the patriotic radio shows are in fact contributing to the very system they seek to take down? The, if they don't talk directly to what to avoid on an individual basis, uh, they certainly can be doing it. I mean, fear itself, and I've mentioned this before, fear is addictive. Uh, and again, you're not, you're not going out for the audience who want to be fearful, at least I hope not. But for those who can handle truth, truth is, a, is an awful thing to handle. And it's going to alter you regardless. It will alter anybody just knowing the truth because you've got a completely different perspective on life and yourself and your place in life and those around you as you had before. Lots of folk do go through that and almost crack up. Some do crack up when they, when they go through it. But it has to be done. If anybody's going to come through any of this, uh, it has to be done. And uh, with the knowledge, you know. Indeed, and to me, the breaking point is the vaccinations. They're weaponizing the food supply. Well, of course. I mean, I I would never take a vaccination for anything. Yeah. And the food, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. And and the food too. I mean, the sad part about about the truth is really they've been poisonous, poisoning us since at least the end of World War Two, pretty heavily. Mm-hmm. Uh, with, with the intensive farming and, and all the, the chemicals which they knew, which what they, they knew what it would do to the public down the road. That's why they were bombasting the public. Oh, the baby boomer, boomers after World War II. Oh, they're going to be a terrible danger down the road. There's too many of them. Long before they were getting sick, they knew they would be getting sick because of the stuff they were using on the food. And then they brought in the GM as well. And then they hit them all with so many inoculations. Uh, it's just astonishing. But they knew what they were going to do. They planned it a long time ago. Yeah. Continue the good work, my friend. And you too. And, and take care. And it's a, yes, a sad thing to hold on to is your sanity, but you've got to do it. And you will change going through this. You will change. If you want to be the same, just stay the way you are. But if you want to understand on a high level what's going on, then go for it, it's worth it in the end. From Hamish Masella from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God, or your gods go with you. <laughs>